Hello, beautiful, lightful souls. My name is Trisha Barker, and I'm so excited to be here with Jim Owen, who had a profound near-death experience, and he's going to tell us about that today. But I do want to remind you that if you are a writer and you want to write a book and you want a writing community, I have several writing workshops that are going on. They're really affordable, just $10 on Zoom, and I love to create community with people. And my book, Angels in the OR, can be pre-ordered now. And from now until April, I'm going to have a lot of promotional things going on for those who pre-order because intentional communities are something that I really want to create and create spiritual healing with people. But thank you, Jim, for joining me today. I'm so excited to have your story shown to my audience. Thank you for inviting me. It's very exciting. Yeah, so you were in my area, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and Dr. Jan Holden suggested interviewing you, and I'm so glad she did, because part of your story, and this really interests me, involves a river, and you're writing a book, or are you close to finishing that, about a river, and search of a river? I'm getting into the final stages now. Awesome. I'm going to take your workshop and then I'll have to go back and change things. <laughs> I know the real writing is in revision, unfortunately. That's right, exactly. <laughs> but uh, I want to jump into your profound near-death experience because I've read a little and I've briefly talked with you. But if you wouldn't mind setting the stage, I know that it's kind of a profound medical incident that happened and you can go into some of the medical stuff, but I, I like to get to the afterlife stuff pretty quickly. But um, would you mind setting the stage about maybe who you were before and then what happened and then your near-death experience? Be happy to. I, um, I, I think this journey started when I was a kid, really, because I used to have these profound dreams that I reached a point, possibly death, where I was being scolded because I had not completed the task that I was supposed to complete. And I mean, those started when I was probably seven or eight years old. And I would have that dream periodically, and it left me totally bewildered and confused. You know, why am I as a kid having this dream? And it continued on into my teen years. So fast forward many years, uh, my near-death experience happened on February the 8th, 2011. Seven years, 10 months, 29 days ago, but who's counting, right? The, <laughs> um, I had a heart attack was what brought it about, but very unusual circumstances. As I look back on the whole process now, I can easily see how God lined up all these events to happen. It's kind of like, you know, when we take a trip, we can look at a roadmap and know somewhat what's ahead of us, where we're going, but we don't know the experiences and the things we're going to see along the way. So in my experience, my background is a profession. I'm a real estate broker, um, list and sell properties, been very active, very aggressive, had a very good business with that. But my real love in the real estate business is I'm a real estate auctioneer and I travel the country with a, with a company out of Florida and we do real estate auctions. We've done them all over the United States. Prior to that, I did construction equipment auctions again, all over the United States and even over in Saudi Arabia, went over there and did the construction auctions. So I've been a very busy, uh, hardworking, um, hard living, uh, not eating right kind of a guy. And it all kind of caught up. It finally reached a point where on that fateful day of February the 8th, the day before 
I had stood up from sitting on the bed and, and blacked out. My, my spouse works for uh, a cardiologist and I had an appointment two weeks later to go in and have a checkup. Uh, but I was leaving town on February the 9th. I was going to be gone for two weeks on a real estate auction assignment we were working on. Uh, so she went to work, told the doctor who used to be our next door neighbor and was a real estate client of mine about the blacking out and other things that had been noticed. So he said, having come in today, let's check it out. So I did. And when I got into the office, I was on the treadmill and suddenly felt like I was sinking in quicksand, like in old cowboy movies. So now we show somebody sinking in quicksand. That's what I felt like. And I couldn't get my breath. And finally, the, the, the technician doing the stress test said, I've got to get your heart rate to 135. I kept watching. We got to 135. I held it there a minute. And then the next thing I know, I wake up laying on a table in that same room. And I'm hearing profound things like the doctor saying, we're losing him fast. Blood pressure 60 over 40. Get the IV in, squeeze the bag, put another one in, squeeze it. You know, get the flow going as fast as you can. Put a nitro under the tongue. And when that dissolves, put another one. No, you weren't out of body at this point. Were you still no, in your this, body? I'm yeah. still in my body and I'm still, uh, I hadn't, hadn't passed yet, but I'm hearing all of this. And of course, my first thought was, I don't have time for this. I've got a, I've got a trip to take tomorrow. I've got to work. I have things to do. So I'm fighting it. I'm fighting, fighting, fighting uh, to stop this, to make it go away. And then I finally realized it wasn't going away, that I was dying. So I laid there and I prayed and I, I told God, I said, if it's my time to go, then it's my time to go. I'll accept it. I'll come happily. And I totally calmed down. And, and Dr. Isaac said he knew that I had prayed and he knew exactly when it was because he said at that point, they were able to work on me and stabilize me. But I'd also heard him say, we're probably going to have to get an ambulance to get him to the hospital. Well, hospital was across a two-lane street from his office. Not a busy highway, just a two-lane street up here in Sherman, Texas. Finally, they put me in a wheelchair and go running as fast as they can across that street into the hospital. Every door was open as we got to it, kind of like in the movies. <laughs> yeah. Every door is open. Somebody's there to make sure we don't slow down anywhere. So what they did, they did not have to do open heart or anything of that nature. They did a heart cath. And I remember in the prep room, a nurse leaned over to me because apparently I was joking, making jokes with these people. And a nurse leaned over and said, Mr. Owen, you do understand that you're in the midst of a severe heart attack. Well, they take me into the cath room. And I got pretty frightened at that point because I, I, I felt like I'm going to die. I know I am, there's no turning back. And I started thinking of all the people that I needed to contact, needed to let them know I was, I was dead. And then that dream that I had as a child suddenly came back. And I started thinking of all the things I'd left undone, things that I needed to do, things that I didn't even know that I needed to do. Wow, it sounds like you're being reoriented onto your path. Exactly, exactly. That's the way I've looked at it many times. Hmm. But they had said during the heart cath process, I would be awake. I would see everything on a large screen above my head, excuse me, above my head. 
got choked up a little bit. <laughs> and I thought, okay, you know, I'm going to lay here and I'm going to watch them go through my artery and see what's happening. As soon as the doctor said, we're beginning, everything got dark. Unknown to me at the time, that was the first time that I died. I died four times within this procedure. I entered a tunnel that was not the bright white light that a lot of people talk about that they see. I didn't see that. It was a dark, kind of a chocolatey look, but with, white, with, with light reflecting. I have heard some people describe that tunnel almost as if they're slowed down enough to really look at what it looks like. I've, I've heard like a second near-death experience for someone where they slow down to go, what is this made of? And they get curious of what that tunnel is. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I never, I didn't exit that tunnel at this point. <clears throat> I came to, and there were people walking away from me and I didn't understand. I'm thinking, did they tell me I would be awake? Am I supposed to be asleep? I need to ask somebody, I need to find out. Suddenly I'm right back into that tunnel. This time it's getting lighter and I'm passing through it very slowly, but I'm passing through. And once again, I'm awake. And again, people are walking away from me. What I didn't know at the time was they were using the defibrillators to shock me back to life. So they were interrupting the process, you know, bringing me back with that. Which is why, by the way, my nickname is Jumpstart Jimmy. <laughs> I'm a biker. I ride a motorcycle with a group called Bikers Against Child Abuse. Oh, we all have what we call our, our road names instead of using our real name. <clears throat> and mine is Jumpstart Jimmy. And one of our guys is a pretty good artist. So he came up with a logo depicting my entire uh, death scenario. You can see that pretty good. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> it shows the the, the date and shows the, the four stars for the four times I died in the hands with the defibrillator. So, so and that, four, that four times up here on my arm as well. So, <laughs> so that each well, and every day I can look in the mirror and see that and, and be reminded of the second chance that I've been given. And four times is an awful lot. I've talked with someone who had a brain aneurysm and had, you know, died eight times, but four times in once once is a lot. Yeah. And it all happened like within an hour. Wow. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, was the process on it. So anyhow, then I go into the third time. This time I pass through the tunnel rather quickly and I'm standing on a cliff. I grew up in the Appalachian Mountains of West Virginia. So I appreciate the beauty of the mountains. And to me, that's the prettiest state in the whole country in the mountain area. So I, I pass through and I'm standing on this cliff and I'm looking down at this absolutely beautiful river. It's the fall of the year, so all the leaves on the mountains are in their bright glory. And if you've ever been to the eastern or northeastern mountains during the fall and seen all the color, magnify that by about 100 times. The colors were so vivid, so bright, the, the orange was so orange, and the red so red, the green so green. It was just much more than, than we would see here on Earth. Did you think that there was like no death or dying and that's what made it so brilliant? That's what I thought in that heavenly landscape is that nothing was wrong with it. Everything was pure and perfect. Absolutely perfect. It was just perfect in every detail. I could look down and to the left was a river bottom and, and whatever crop was growing there was just vivid green. 
there was a mountain to the far side of it and a mountain ahead of it with a road that came down the mountain. And there was a bridge that crossed this river. It was an old steel arch bridge. And for the, the flooring was planks, wood planks. So I'm taking all this in and to the right, there's another beautiful mountain. As the road crosses the river, it forks and it goes to the left up the mountain and it goes to the right following the, the river. And along that river is a uh, stone wall at the base of the mountain, which is pretty common for back there, the stone wall. So I'm, I'm seeing all this and I'm looking at this beautiful river and suddenly I hear an old truck. I have, I, I'm yet to figure out the significance of this, but an old truck, a fifties model comes down the hill. I can hear the gears clanking as they change the gears and he crosses over that bridge. I can hear the bump, 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 bump of the, of the wooden planks and he goes up the hill. But for some reason I followed that truck the entire way watching. Did you realize it, you were in heaven? I mean, did you realize that this was heaven at the time or? I think I did. I mean, I, I knew that I was, um, I think at that point, I didn't really think, am I in body or out of body? I just was a being. I was just me. But it, as that truck crossed, my eyes were drawn to the, to the far side of the river, and there was a bright white light glowing there. And I was told at that point, fall forward, and you will drift to me. Then I'm awake again. So I'm totally confused. I'm lying there in this hospital operating room wondering where am I supposed to be? What's happening? And then instantly I'm back again. And this time the voice comes again and says, fall forward. You will drift to me. You will not be hurt. And I did. And I start following forward and it's like a bird soaring. I'm just going back and forth and I'm looking down at this river it was so clear. The water was so crystal clear. I could see the river rocks. I could see trout, which in my youth, I used to love to go to a river like that and fly fish. So I'm seeing the trout swimming around. It's just, everything was so calm and so peaceful and just perfect. It was perfect in every detail. As I reached the river, I'm drawn over to this light. And it's kind of odd at that point, I see these thorn bushes along the, the, the bank of the river. And I'm thinking, I'm going right towards those. And it's going to hurt when I cross through. I passed right through with no pain, nothing at all. Sitting on this stone wall was a person, a personage of a man's form, long white hair, long white beard, all dressed in white, the purest, cleanest, brightest white I, you could ever imagine. It just looked so clean and perfect. But it was kind of like a hologram, if you will. There was like an aura all around, just a white glow from this person. But he said, come and sit by me. So I did. And as I'm sitting on this stone wall, then it becomes exactly like the dream that I had. We go through a life review, but it's not like a lot of people say, well, I see my whole life flash before my eyes. I didn't see that. I just have this angel guide and he had told me I am your angel guide. 
just telling me everything that I had done throughout life or the high points and scolding for the mistakes that I had made, but in a very loving, kind way. I didn't feel that I was being fussed at or criticized that much. It was just being pointed out, but in a loving kind of way. And I was being let know that I would be able to correct these things. So as we go through this, we keep talking, there were so many things that I was told that I still don't know them all. So they still did, have not all been revealed. So in my life review, a little bit similar, but I would see an image and then I'd understand everything in that scenario from the other person's perspective. And I'd go, oh, I could have been nicer here. I could have done this differently. Did you see certain highlights like that where you saw it kind of multidimensionally or was it different? It was different. I, I didn't really see that. Uh, it was more... I think in a way I was seeing it, but, but it was more just in a discussion. It wasn't, mm. I wasn't seeing it as vividly as, as you're describing there. Uh, I, I just know that as I went through all this conversation with this angel guide, who it was later revealed to me, his name was Enoch. Um, I was given instruction of things that I have to do in life, things that I would be taking care of things that I was charged with doing. And I was coming back. I would be sent back to my body. I was told those things would be sealed and they would be revealed to me as the time was right, as the time came for me to perform some of these functions or that I was ready for them. So when I came back to my body and I'm still in this cath room and I'm taken to the recovery room I'm laying there thinking did I have a dream was this a dream was it I was just trying to sort it all out and I'm thinking what an odd dream it was such a serious dream I was being told such serious things I was being corrected I was being criticized I was I was being loved though I was not being treated harshly and as I'm trying to sort it out, the doctor walked in, Dr. Isaac, and he said, well, the good news is you're alive. The bad news is you died four times. And the last time, I didn't think we were going to get you back. And he told me later that his entire team was looking at him like, why are you working on this guy? He's dead. He's gone. How long were you out that last time? Did I they don't tell even you? know. I don't wow. even know. Wow. But he told me that it was as if someone walked up to his side and whispered in his ear, keep working, we're sending him back. Wow. He said it was so real that he turned to look who was beside him and no one was there. But that's why he kept working. That's... He was told to keep working. That's so amazing. I love it when doctors are just a little bit open or very open to information from the other side. I interviewed just Jeff O'Driscoll, who has a lot of spiritual oh, yeah. communication, and I saw my angels working through my doctors. And so I know that when we're in action, you know, that certainly uh, these beings can work through for the benefit of whoever is on the table. So I'm sure that, that your angel was working through him. 
Absolutely. I have no doubt. And he doesn't either. He asked me to come and talk with him. Uh, he wanted me to give it a little bit of time, a few days, and to come and chat with him when I felt like it uh, because he wanted to know more. He wanted to, to, to have more detail. And we did. We had a great conversation. Um, I've yet to contact him to see if he'll write a forward for my, my book. Uh, but, but I feel certain he, he probably would be interested in doing that. Well, other people might want to interview the two of you together, so that could be kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it, it was a profound experience for him as well, apparently, uh, without a doubt. But uh, like I say, that was February the 8th, 2011, and it took me a long time before I could even talk about it. Um, I, I would mention it to some people, but I wouldn't go into detail. Um, I was still trying to sort it out myself, you know, my own mind to figure out exactly what had happened, why it had happened. I couldn't understand it. Why would I be sent back? That was nothing special. So had you heard of near-death experiences or did that really just not really interest you much before you had one? I had heard about them. And of course, after, after going through one myself, then I became a student of, and I started reading and trying to find as much as I could but still had a hard time talking about it. And, and I think when I would tell some people about it, their first reaction is, oh, I bet you wake up every morning just praising God that you're alive. No, I didn't. Some days I did. Some days I was more like, why couldn't I have stayed? <laughs> that was a peaceful, beautiful place. Why, why did I have to leave that place? I could have been just fine there. Why do you think you felt like that, this longing for God or this disappointment with the world? Or was it a combination of both? I think a combination <laughs> of all. <laughs> yeah. just, once you see that peacefulness and, and the paradise, you know, you, you want that. It's, 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 um, but at, at, at the same time, I was so puzzled as to why, why would I be chosen to be sent back? Chris Christopherson's song, Why Me, God? Why Me, Lord? That, that, that keeps playing in my head. You know, why, why would I be the one to be sent back? I, had, I, I was no lay preacher. I wasn't a Sunday school teacher. I wasn't doing anything great and profound. I was traveling the country, auctioning stuff off. Why, why would I be chosen? I have, um, a, little, I have a little guess, you know, because I, I was sent back and saw some similar things to you. And I think it's really to tell this story to people and remind people of their connection to the other side. I really do think that, you know, you're going to reach a different group of people than I reach. And all of us who come from all these walks of life, we're like these lights that spread out across the world and remind people of their connection to God and their connection to their, their journey and their source and their, their spirits. I, I think so, because now, um, number one, I have absolutely no fear of death. The only, the only fear that I have of dying is that I did not complete whatever the task, whatever the God job is that I was assigned to do. It's the way I like to look at it, the God job. What is it? <laughs> and so I've, I've just been very perplexed as to, to, to this big question of why. And I think I mentioned to you the other day on our phone conversation, uh, Dr. Evan Alexander gave a talk in, in Plano one night at a very large church facility. And I, I rode my motorcycle down to attend that and to get his book signed and big crowd, huge crowd there. And I kept trying to ask a question, putting my hand up. And, and finally he called on me as the last question. 
And he said, okay, we've got two or three minutes. And my question, first question to him was, why is the near-death experience so difficult to talk about? And he started giving his answer that he had clients that for 20 years hadn't been able to talk about it. And some people never talked about it. And some people talk about it from day one. And of course that led him to ask me the question, are you a near-death experiencer? And the two or three minutes turned into 30 minutes of, of he and I talking back and forth. And, and uh, he gave me his card and asked me to, to please send him more detailed information about my NDE, which I've yet to do. But that helped me tremendously to get some answers from him. Yes. As I was leaving the, the, the yes. church, we several people stopped me and asked me questions. So that helped too, to, to talk yes. more about it. Definitely. Other near-death experiencers validate each other. And I found that, you know, from the beginning, whenever I found someone, it might happen back in 1994, but I would just gravitate to people who had them at a coffee shop or whatever. I'm like, so I died. And they're like, so I did too. <laughs> you know, we'd start telling our stories and, and then I'd be right. like, take a, a breath of relief and like, okay, you understand. You're my brother and sister in the light. But we, we do validate each other in doing these interviews. I know that it's important that we're a community because we do understand one another. And, and that's so refreshing because a lot of oh, people get curious about it, but it is nice to just go, okay, you understand, <laughs> you know. It, it's hard to um, being around the people that you've been around prior to, I don't, I don't mean it's difficult being around them, but it, it's, it's it, I guess I do because they didn't have that experience. They just know that, a person close to them died and came back. Um, I think they expect you to be a totally different person. And sometimes we show that right up front from day one, we show we're a different person. And sometimes those close to us can handle it. Sometimes they can't. Um, it took me a while. It took me a long time. And I, mean, I knew it was different. From, from day one. I, I knew that my attitude was different. My thought process was different. Things that I used to like, I didn't like anymore. I felt like the endeavors I'd been going on in, in my work life were no longer things I needed to be chasing. I still love doing the auctions and I do travel doing those, but some of the day-to-day -day work that I used to do, I just lost my desire for it. And I was cultivating a desire for something new, something, some, whatever I was called to do. And I felt like it was to serve. So I kept looking at different things, different avenues. One was, okay, maybe I'm to help the homeless. I've always felt a, 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 a desire there. And, and I did get involved in that. Quickly, I was, I was told, no, that's not where you're to go. And when you say told, are you in communication with your angel guide or just intuition or just? Well, sometimes it's, yes, it's as if he appears pretty vividly and, and delivers messages. Other times it's just, like you say, intuition. You just feel it, you hear it, you know it's a communication coming. Um, one of the things that I was told was, to never discount anybody that came in my path because messages were delivered in diverse ways that 
if a homeless person, if what we call a bum came up to me on the street and it seemed as though they had something to say, then I better take the time to listen because messages could come even in that way. And since then, I have met some incredible people. I have met some people that have really impacted my life with things they've had to say, with their attitudes, with their uh, knowledge. I mean, I, I have a friend that, that I think fourth grade was as far as he went. He used to have a very successful roofing company and he gave it all up and just started traveling the country. And, and he's written an incredible book, but not published yet. But he's one of the smartest guys I've ever met. His insight is just incredible. And it's just been one person after another that has come at the right time with a message. Now, I still don't know exactly what I'm supposed to do. I'm getting a better understanding and a clearer idea. Well, you told me about something that I would like to mention and ask you about. Um, you became open pretty quickly to Reiki healing. And so I, I think did. that's very interested, interesting. And you are a healer yourself, is that correct? That's correct. Well, it wasn't very quickly, though. Um, <laughs> I was reading a book that a fellow West Virginian had written, uh, a book called Rain No Evil. And it's about a house that was haunted, had some very strange things going on in it. And in that book, she talked about energy healing and how much it had helped her. And for some reason, that just resonated with me. And I contacted her and I said, what are you talking about? What is this? Well, it was Reiki. I'd never heard of Reiki. I had no idea what it was. So I researched and I started trying to find someone here in the Sherman area where I live that I could go have a session with. I couldn't find anybody. Every time I did an internet search, one lady, a lady named Billy Sandell was showing up. She's in Allen, uh, Texas. No matter what I was searching for, she would pop up on my computer. Lo and behold, come to find out, she's never paid for a Google ad in her entire life. Wow. Every time I would turn the computer on to search for anything, her ad would pop up. So pretty soon my thick skull finally opened up and said, this is a sign. So I contacted her, got a session. In my very first session, I went into my awakening. The Kundalini hit and it hit hard. And in that session, I started seeing things. I saw a previous life. It was pretty dramatic. Things that I saw almost revealed. Um, as she was giving me the session, she saw things, which I now have learned is quite possible because it's happened with me on patients, uh, on clients. Um, she always sees this white horse, beautiful white horse with the red healer's hand on its hindquarters. Almost every time she gives me a session that pops up somewhere in her mind. I changed Im immediately going through that session. I didn't know what had happened. I just knew that suddenly my mind was open. I was more receptive. Um, I, I started reading more uh, about near-death experiences, about energy healing, about all the stuff that we're involved in. And it, it's just been a constant learning process. Every time I've gone to have a session, 
uh, new things seemed to be revealed. But that opened up the channel. It made me more receptive. And in the past year and a half, things have been coming at me much faster. You know, there for a while, I know my, my son got married. Um, he was in Afghanistan. He's in the Army. He was a medic in Afghanistan when I had my heart attack. And he got to come home, not because of the heart attack, but it just worked out. That was his R&R, &R, uh, like the month of February. So he, he came home and was, was here. Um, but he got married later on in Louisville, Kentucky. And as we were sitting in the reception with all the family at one big long table, suddenly I realized the family at all, everybody was up and gone. And I was the only person seated at this long table. Suddenly the table felt, and, and I felt like we elevated to where I was up looking down on everybody in the, on the dance floor. And just like with the doctor, it was like someone came up to me and said into my ear, this is one of the reasons you have been saved. Your son and his wife are very special people. And we want you here to see the accomplishments they're going to have. Oh, oh, after it's, that was said, right back down to ground level. Yeah, so I had a lot of out-of-body experiences right after my near-death experience, and I like to joke that our spirits are kind of loosened after we've had some near-death experiences so they can pop out. So, right. so there are these moments where, especially those first couple of years where I would lift up, um, for me, it was more like trauma-induced. If I heard a car accident or I heard a siren or I heard something, then I'd kind of leave body, you know, for a moment and have to come right. back into it. But, but that's interesting. You had that out-of-body experience. So you've had a lot of the after effects. The psychological effects are being different. And, of course, you know, not relating to people in exactly the same way. And that can be challenging and wonderful when people are around us and they're open and kind of confusing when they're not. And then the... Uh, the spiritual after effects like that, like the out of bodies. Did you have any of the, Oh, how do you describe it? Like you can't wear watches or you mess with technology or those types of energy experiences. You know, I haven't, um, that I'm aware of. I quit wearing uh, a watch went with a Fitbit wear that, but I've uh, not had any problems of that nature to happen. Um, I have had some empath powers, I have, um, not long after my awakening, I was sitting in a Subway restaurant and I suddenly felt like everybody that was in that restaurant, I could feel and know what they were going through. Yes. And it was draining because I didn't know how to release it. I, I would feel their problems and I would try to send positive energy to them but I would finish with this one and then this one would start and this one. It was, it was everybody in there practically I went through. And there was one lady that I just suddenly started feeling that she was trying to raise her grandkids and it was so difficult. And she was having such a hard time. And, and, and this is all without speaking a word. And I tried to send energy to her and make her feel good. And as she walked out, walked by me, she stopped and said, thank you. Wow. And I didn't get a chance to say for what she just kept going. She just said, thank you. And kept going. Oh, she felt I, your energy or your prayer or she I was suppose, sensitive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But as I got up to leave the restaurant, I realized 
I was totally exhausted. I was just drained of all energy. And, and when I came back to the, to the flat where I live, I, I called Billy, my Reiki master, and I said, what is going on? What is this? She kind of laughed and she said, I knew that was going to happen. I just didn't know exactly when. And she gave me some great instruction on how to release that, not to hold their problems, but to release it, let it go, send them the good energy, and then that's it. Yeah. And so that's how you, you deal with it. Like for those who are watching who do have that problem and are impasse, um, was that all that she said or is there something more specific about releasing? Well, she, she just was saying how if you hold other people's problems, um, then it dwells upon you. It, it, it becomes a burden on you. So suddenly you've got not your own burdens, but everybody else's burdens that, that you have this experience with. And it's just draining on, on all of your, your energy. Yeah. For those who are just newly awakening or have had a near-death experience, I know that is a common thing. Right after mine, when I healed up enough to go back to Austin, I was on a city bus and I just, I'd get a sense of everyone on the bus, you know, from, you know, bad things to good things to troubling things, you know, all kind of things. And I would just kind of pray for them all and wish for the highest good, try to see the divine light and everyone and their divine potential. And, but yeah, I was just kind of confused. Like, why am I all one with some, you know, people on the sidewalk? And I, I didn't understand why so many people suffered so much. Like they take things so seriously. I think, you know, when you've died, you can look back and go, hey, it's really not that serious. <laughs> you know, just shift into this other way of seeing it. <laughs> That's right. It isn't. And I, I, I can't really say I did or didn't believe in reincarnation. I, I can vividly remember as, as a, a child, we went to visit a distant relative in Florida. He was a retired army or retired from the service officer. <clears throat> And he had, I, I wandered into his library and he had several books about reincarnation. Now I was probably six or seven years old, but for some reason I was fascinated by seeing these books and he came in the library to see what I was doing. I guess he was afraid I was messing up something. And I asked about him and, and I can recall sitting there having a little chat with him uh, about reincarnation. That's the only time I ever saw that relative. And, and I just had really never given it that much thought. I firmly believe in it now but because I have seen a previous life. I don't know how many there's been, but uh, I do think now that when we meet someone who seems to be extremely smart, I think it's because they've lived several lives and everything we experience and learn goes into our subconscious and it's there. We may not be able to draw it out, but it works through our mind. It's there all the time with us. Um, so I'm more in tune with things like that. Oh, yeah. um, I, I'm more caring. I'm more of a loving person. Uh, not that it was not that I was unloving before, but um, I just feel more uh, for, for people and. My Reiki master, Billy, says that in the 20 years she's been working on people, I'm one of the few that she draws energy from. And she feels like that I am very connected to the source from when I died. And I've, 
she pointed out how I have fought that. I've tried to, to resist it. I've tried not to embrace it and accept it. So she has been tremendously helpful in bringing that out. Well, I'm glad that she is because, you know, mind having had it in 94, I, w I didn't resist it in the classroom. You know, I just let it flow, let the angels work through me, let God work through me for the benefit of kids. But in the rest of my life, I, I didn't realize I could keep using it. You know, I just wanted to be a regular 20 something year old, and, you know, <laughs> and then, you know, just yeah, take my life back. And, and so it took a while to give myself completely over to that flow of life and energy. And I thought it would be just really strange if I did. And, and maybe I am, you know, but, <laughs> but I've embraced it. <laughs> Accepting it and that's it. <laughs> yeah, this is it. It's meant to flow. Well, it's <laughs> meant to be. <laughs> I, I think, you know, we do, we do realize and accept a lot more things and, and we're more we're open. We're, we're always wanting to learn and experience and and figure this whole thing out you know why why we were chosen to come back i mean i literally when i hear about someone else that's passed away and they didn't come back and i think now now why did that person why did they not come back why why were they kept why was it their time they're such a good person why were they kept um so now, now i think well they are back on earth they're just in another form in another body uh, yeah, they're, yeah, they're no, still here doing good, just I'm, in another way. I'm with you on the reincarnation thing. Like it, it was something that as a kid I understood. Uh, I had very early memories where I remember pulling myself up on a crib, and I was born in a trailer home, and I, I remember looking around, going, "Oh God, <laughs> you know, I had died in like palatial." <laughs> home with these marble floors and I pull myself up and look at this situation. I was like, this is not good. <laughs> <laughs> not what I chose. <laughs> well, I, I, uh, I had an experience. I mentioned to this to you the other day and we, we didn't go into detail about it because you said you wanted to wait and let it be a, a surprise. Um, before I get into this, let me say that, that, I do feel sometimes when something is about to happen now that I didn't before. I, um, I had a dream one night that someone was going to call me and, and two weeks later they did. And, and I had a dream um, about a town in my home state in West Virginia, a very vivid dream of this little town. I'd never even heard of it, had never even been to it. And the next morning I got up and I looked on the internet and, and found this town existed exactly as I dreamed it down to the point of a big, beautiful Victorian home that sat on a hill overlooking the downtown. That home is there. I've learned all about it, the history of it. It was built in 1902 and been in the same family ever since. Um, perhaps I have some connection with that town in a, in a previous life. I'm going to go there as soon as I can and just go to that town and see what vibration I get, what feeling I get from, from being there. But back, and, and I, this is going to be in my book, but I'm just, and I printed it out so I wouldn't forget a single word of what this lady told me. This happened back in, when? July 14th of, of 2018. I went to a one day workshop uh, titled Soul Lessons, Soul Patterns, Awakening to Past Lives, Future Lives, and Lives in Between. And this was held. Um, under the Edgar Casey ARE, Association for Research and Enlightenment. Uh, wonderful 
wonderful day. I, I thoroughly enjoyed everything about it. During that day, I had talked to, to the gentleman who gave the presentation in, in front of the group a little bit about my near-death experience. Not in great detail, but I had made a comment that one of the things I was trying to learn was why things had been coming so slowly, being revealed to me, the revelations coming very slowly, and then suddenly in the past year and a half, they've been coming much quicker. On the first break that we had, it was in a church, Unity Church. I stood up, laid my things in the pew, and I turned to go to the restroom. And there stood a short elderly lady in her 80s, I would guess, you know, 80s. And she looked at me and said, I'm here to deliver you a message. Now, I'm thinking I'd been talking to the organizers a little bit earlier that she's come to tell me something, answer a question that I had or, or something. So I said, okay. You know, what is your message? And I want to read it. It's in my mind completely, and I could probably say it verbatim without reading it, but I don't want to miss anything. She said, I was sent to deliver you a message. You have been chosen for very important upcoming tasks, and these years past have been preparing you. Instruction, messages, and learning opportunities have been made available to you and while they have been rapidly increasing over this past year, you need to be prepared for what's yet to come. Spirituality of the universe is rapidly expanding, and by the end of 2019, spirituality will be at levels never seen on Earth before, but the entire universe will be in chaos. You will play a part in calming the chaos. If you think revelations have been coming fast in the past year, be prepared because it's going to be like a dump truck backs up to you and dumps a huge load at one time. Keep yourself ready and take advantage of opportunities presented to you. She paused and she was looking up this entire time. It was almost as if she had broken English. It was almost as if she was being told what to say and she was trying to translate it. So she looked up for a moment and she looked back at me straight in my eyes and she said, that is all of the message. Stay ready, stay prepared. You have important work to do. Hmm. Very interesting. That, and That lady at that point disappeared. I looked for her the rest of the day. I went on to the restroom, I came back and I said to a lady who was sitting behind me, I said, did you see a lady approach me at the break and say something? And she said, I did. And I've been pretty much in awe of what I heard. I said, can you help me find her? I would like to talk to her some more. So she and I both, there was probably 40 people there. We looked at everyone. I walked out to the foyer to see if maybe she was with the organizing group. She was not there. I even asked them. Did you send someone to give me a message? No, we didn't. Hmm. The lady was just, she was gone. I find it very interesting that she gave you that message and that you've studied energy work because I think, and that you've had these moments where you've given energy to groups of people, but in times of chaos, I, I this is something I'm beginning to see is needed. 
more and more people are needed to give energy, especially after a mass shooting or after some that we energy workers are meant to go there or send it energetically to calm chaos in this world. You know, that that is part of what we are meant to do is to provide that healing, but also to undo some of the trauma in people's life through that type mm -hmm. of energy. You know, this combination of nature and energy and um, and it's real. And I think the more of us who realize it's real um, begin to start working in that way. That's an excellent point. I, I, uh, I'm glad you brought that out because that, that makes me start thinking in other ways too. Um, I had contacted the gentleman who gave that workshop that day later on and, and told him what had happened. And his response was, I'm sure she was sent to you. She, mm -hmm. was, not a, she was not a member of the workshop. She was sent to you to deliver that message. And she did disappear afterwards. And he said, but you know, we have things like that happen fairly regular. Cool. So it, it, yeah. It, <laughs> and that's one of those things that you, know, you and I can talk about it and the people who will watch this YouTube uh, hopefully will understand. But to say that to a lot of people, then they start wondering if you're cuckoo or what's going on. You know? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, and I made a video about this, but before, you know, when I was beginning to become agnostic at about 18, I had an experience with angels in the flesh who came up to me and my boyfriend at the time was completely um, atheist, you know, like almost adamantly angry atheist. Mm -hmm. And when we had that encounter, he was unnerved. So even being this person who was, you know, an atheist, he was like, uh, I don't ever want to talk about that ever again. What just happened? <laughs> it did not fit into his worldview. <laughs> so I think people sense, you know, when there is some kind of miraculous moment that's occurring and it's out of the ordinary, even when their minds are closed, they sense it on some level. Oh, yes. Oh, I think so. Definitely. <laughs> One of the things that you wanted to hear about uh, was the journey yes the river so i do want to hear about that we can end with that so yeah you, yeah and what the, year was that that you went on that journey searching for that river that would have been 2017 hmm. i believe i'll show you this picture you see the picture of that river yes beautiful that's very similar to the scene that I saw. That's about 20 miles from my hometown in West Virginia. It's in a state park. And I was there last year, um, drove down to that park and just snapped a picture with my phone. That picture, not that picture, but at that location. And as I kept looking at it, I thought, this is the perfect picture for the cover of my book. The book is entitled In Search of a River. I wanted a better picture of that. Well, there's, there's a gentleman on my Facebook page from West Virginia who's a nature photographer. And every picture he would post of a river ever since this experience, I would look at it and say, is that it? Is that the river? And sometimes they would be close. They would look very similar, but just not quite it. I spent hours on uh, Google Earth following rivers throughout. And I thought, well, this has got to be in West Virginia. Uh, or Virginia or North Carolina, some of the areas that I am, am familiar with. I looked at the picture that I had taken with my phone and I found that I had the coordinates of exactly where I stood. So I asked this gentleman if he would go and take a photograph for me. And he did. He was kind enough to, to do that. 
and he stood at the exact same spot where I did following those coordinates and took this professional picture that I can now use for the book. Wow. I decided in trying to sort out what all had happened and trying to sort out what my purpose was, that if I could find that river, if I could find that exact location and go and set on that stone wall, that my angel guide, Enoch, would come back to me and would answer questions. So my first part of the journey was Google Earth. The second part was getting on my motorcycle and taking off to look for it. So I had an auction to do in Fancy Gap, Virginia, right on the Blue Ridge Parkway. And a week later, I had an auction to do outside of Gainesville, Florida. So I first rode to West Virginia to my mom's house, 97-year-old mom, and stayed a few days. Then I went down to do this auction, and I came back. And in between time, I was just riding. I was looking at rivers. On my journey up there, I purposely made some mountain crossings that's not the way you would normally travel uh, because they're very curvy mountain roads but just knowing that i might find what i was looking for and there were several spots along that way and as the journey continued where i would stop on a mountaintop and meditate i never meditated before i'm now very heavily into meditation um, i like to say we we pray to god for things. We pray to God for answers to our questions, but in the quiet stillness of meditation is when the answers come. And God's energy can just flow oh, into you. Absolutely. <laughs> During that journey, um, you know, I, I, I did the first auction we had to do and I just kept riding. I, I had a whole week to get down to Florida to the next one. So I spent time just riding through the mountains and looking and exploring rivers. Um, I came back to Texas. I was here not very long at all. And I took off on part two of that journey, heading back to West Virginia. And this time I did a lot of really back road riding. In my mind, I thought the, that material river existed and I had to get there. I had to stand and sit at that exact spot to get the answers. The journey itself was where a lot of answers came. I quickly realized that river doesn't exist here on earth. That river was formed. That river is in heaven. That river was put together because my, my angel guide knew I would be comfortable there. I, I was home, that I would feel at ease. I would be comfortable and we could have our conversation that we did. So I just spent the rest of that 7,000 miles on a motorcycle, just doing a lot of thinking. Um, and it was wonderful. It was, I don't want to do it again, but <laughs> at, that, at that particular point in time, uh, I was searching for something. I was searching for that river. I was looking for that material spot that didn't exist, but a lot of answers came forth. And isn't it interesting? I think that's a good metaphor for how so many of us live our lives. We always think it's the destiny, you know, the destination, but it's the journey that's so important. You know, as I, I look back, I'm so, I'm so driven. Sometimes I'm like, well, I have to finish this book and get it published. 
way more fun to connect with people along the way, to do readings, to connect with people, to hear their journeys, to develop this relationship with all the people along the way. That's the beautiful part. You know, like it's, it's like that river that we both saw in our near-death experiences. Like you're just traveling along it. Along it. There isn't a home. Heaven is the destination. You know, all of this right. is important. Yeah. Every moment is a sacred moment. Every moment can be beautiful and can be this fully connected way of living. And it's just um, that, yeah, the journey is amazing. It is amazing. And the people, like you mentioned, the people we meet along that journey, I, I have found two things have happened. One, I have met new, incredible people. But as importantly, I've had people from my past to come back. And they've played a very important part. And I think the journey and, and in my purpose uh, here, because I, I, I've had just some incredible things have happened with, with reuniting with some folks. Um, that's been good. It's been, been, been very good. And, and, you know, I hope that as I go through this procedure of writing my book and, and giving talks, um, a year ago, I could not have done this. I could not have sat here and talked to you about it. I could not have gone to the Friends of Ions meeting in Louisville that Jan invited me to and give the presentation that I did because I was still wrestling with too many things and I would get too emotional about it. Um, my Reiki master, Billy, came to that presentation. She told Jan, she said, he could not excuse me, <clears throat> he could not have done this even a few months ago. You know, he's just now coming to grips with everything and able to do it. So I, you know, I've had people say, well, why have you waited so long to do your book? Uh, you know, some people who are real aggressive and um, gung-ho, they would probably want to write it within six months after their near-the-earth experience. But I had to experience things. I had to have things unfold. There were things that had to happen. There were revelations that had to come forth. Um, experiences that have now allowed me to reach the point that I can do it. Oh and, yeah. And I, can, I can talk about it. Death is, I nearly took my own life twice. And I think God said, okay, I'm going to show you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your life and we're going to talk about it. And, and I think the, the, the challenge there that, that the angel God had was to point out the mistakes, point out that I had not done things I was supposed to do, that I had a job, I had a task to do, and that I've now got another chance to get it right. And yeah. I, I plan on doing that. Yeah, <laughs> there's, right. there's so much to all this that I could comment on, but... I waited 25 years to write my book. So I let a lot of it <laughs> simmer and integrate and play yeah, out over right. time. And I do think that the more of us who have been talking over time do speed the process for other people to begin integrating it a little bit faster because the more of us who are culturally out there, you know, spreading that information, then it becomes easier to integrate the experiences and you go, okay, yeah, this is just part of it. You know, this yeah, is part exactly. of it. And then all the many Reiki workers and energy workers and, people who are talking about it also help with the process. But 
I interviewed Deborah Diamond and she noted that sometimes near-death experiencers, I too tried to take my life before um, my near-death experience about four months before. And there's sometimes been trauma in our lives where it's been hard, you know, to make it through this life. And we've kind of questioned why we're here. And so I think that extra trauma or that extra pain when it's coupled with that wisdom from the other side gives us an ability to help more people. And that's, that can be really beautiful because it, um, it just gives us some insight that, Hey, all this trouble here is not what it's about. It's really about something so much greater right. yes. and so much more. Yeah. I have never um, really talked with anyone about those experiences. Uh, I've got a chapter in the book about it, about suicide and, uh, it was a very difficult chapter to write. It was probably the hardest chapter to write of any that I have so far in the book. Um, relating the experience, the death experience was really the easy part um, because that, you know, it's what it's all about. That was the, the pleasant end of it. <laughs> Isn't but, that funny? Uh, I know that the dying is I like, know, oh, yes. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, see, I was supposed to leave the next day, February the 9th. I was to go to Horseshoe Bay, Texas, and we were auctioning off 360 lots, residential building lots. Horseshoe Bay would not allow us to put up a sign, so we had painted the tips. They allowed us to put up a survey stake with the top of the, the stake painted bright pink. So somewhere close to 400 stakes had been painted, and they were loaded up in the trunk of my car. And I was going to go down and drive around and physically put them up. The guy from Florida was flying in to meet me and it was going to be our, our task to get that done. So after I was in my hospital room, after the recovery room, I sent him a text and I said, you know, dying isn't really that hard to do. I did it four times today. <laughs> and that's all I said. <laughs> and of course, being somewhat of a jokester, they think, okay, what's, what's this all about? What's this joke all about? And uh, then when they found out exactly what had happened, they, you know, they were kind of in shock. And, and uh, needless to say, I did not go to Horseshoe Bay to, to work that next day. But we had the auction 11 days later. And I kept telling the doctor I had to go. I said, I, it's my license for the state of Texas. I'm the auctioneer. I have to be there. I didn't tell him it was 360 lots. I just said a real estate auction. So I think he finally thought, oh, well, couldn't hurt. Probably one property. How long could that take? So he, he agreed that I could go. And I was on the auction block for three and a half hours, which is strenuous work, you know, to do that. And uh, I was in bed for the next two weeks, though. I, could, <laughs> I was really drained of energy. But I went down and did what, what I had to do. Um, but again, you just, your whole priorities change. Everything is, is you look at everything differently. Yeah. We had, at, at the time I went through this, we had a very nice home in Gunter, Texas, which is north of Frisco, um, on 10 acres. And I always thought our two sons would, would, would build houses there and uh, uh, you know, come back, but they're not. They're, they're off doing other things. Uh, but we ended up, I sold that house, got rid of all the upkeep, got rid of the maintenance, uh, chores of it, um, had good equity in it. So got everything debt free and just really enjoy life more so now I've got, got a, a future to look at and, and 
uh, kind of simplified life dramatically. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, I cut this part out of my book, but it was really important for me. I got to see how some very, very wealthy people in Maine lived uh, one summer right after college, and they were miserable. You know, they just, you know, were worried about this and this and this and this, and you know, they just spent their lives, you know, in absolute chaos. And then I went up to this beautiful mountain, the Beehive Mountain, you know, that overlooks part of the ocean. And I was there with God and I was overlooking the ocean and I was like, this is what it's about. <laughs> you know, and then, you know, Absolutely. it was just like, this is what it's about is this connection to nature, this connection to God, everything else doesn't matter quite as much as this, you know, and that, that really just kind of solidified things for me. And then I was able to go into the teaching field after that. But yeah, it's, I've always loved nature, but I think now uh, I have a much greater appreciation of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. After my experience, as, as I traveled on all these auction trips around the country, I always added a day to it. It used to be you'd fly there, do the, do the auction, fly back. And so I decided I'm going to take an extra day on each trip just for me, just to explore, to do things I want to do, see things I want to do, uh, or, or just to let it happen, let things evolve. Yeah. And, and that's been the best thing. It's been Last yeah. time I left West Virginia on my way back here, I went to the Blue Ridge Parkway and, and spent a couple of days just driving across those mountaintops and uh, stopped in many places and just got out and meditated and just absorbed the beauty. Yeah, and that's part of my plan, actually, and, and I do want to um, end right here, but I want to go across the country and I want to spontaneously get people together when I'm on my book tour just to meditate and just to heal and just to be intentional communities because I think there's nothing better that you, you know, you add a group and you have a group meditation, you know, in that sense out in nature, so much better than a hotel room or a oh, conference yes. room. Yeah. I mean, like, let's get people together in nature. It's important. And it so, is. and the energy yeah. flows when you can do that. Yeah, definitely. I did want to end with one last question, just because I was curious. You picked um, child abuse as what you um, focus on. Is is that a, is there a reason for that? Just something I was drawn towards. Um, yeah. I, I I knew someone that was involved with this, uh, so I I got involved. And our purpose is to empower children that are going through this. And as I went through the initial steps of it, I really didn't appreciate or understand what we were doing. And we go through a process where we adopt children in to our fold. Um, uh, you, you can imagine a, a child who's going through this trauma and all of a sudden you've got 50, 60, in some cases, 100 bikers show up and say, we're here to protect you. And when they have to go to court to escort them there if need be, or at least to be there, to be with them as they go through their trial. Um, my eyes were really opened to this child abuse situation. I <clears throat> did not expect to see as many really young children uh, involved as what we did. So it's been very satisfying to be able to empower these children and to think that, that we've helped their life, we've bettered it. But it's, um, it's frustrating as well because the need for what we do is growing, and that's not good. And that means there's more abused children. 
Amen. Um, yeah, that touches me on so many different levels. Um, part of the reason why I came back, I was told to go be a teacher. And so I worked in junior highs and high schools and CPS doesn't do a lot for older kids sometimes. But I mean, I was there in the fight so many times um, just to try to protect these kids or empower them or, you know, lead them to a better place in life. And it is yeah, it's frustrating work, but it's satisfying work too, because sometimes nobody else is there for them. But, you know, right. I mean, I was shocked. Sometimes I was the only one who was there who could see it, who could understand it, who could deal with it and, you know, call the authorities and the necessary, necessary places. And it, um, wow, how beautiful that, you know, a group of, of people are doing that in that way. You know, that must be very empowering for kids. It's beautiful. It is. It gives them, um, a feel of security. I mean, if a child is being harassed, we'll, we'll even go stand guard, you know, if we Aww. have to take care of those children. Uh, so it, it has been, it's a calling. It's something that, uh, that I feel very strongly about yet. I, I still feel like there's something else, um, in addition to that, that, that my God job is still, to be met up with and, and dealt with. Yeah, but that's a beautiful piece. And thank you for doing that. That's, that's incredible. But, oh, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you Same so much. Here. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's been great. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how your journey unfolds. But thank you everyone for watching. And please uh, check out the links below to stay in touch with Jim Owen. And also check out my writing workshop. And please, please, please pre-order my book. Pre-orders help it get into bookstores. And it's kind of like, as one of my friends said, giving a writer a scholarship. So give me a scholarship and pre-order my book. And can't wait to connect with you and hear your comments about this video. But thank you.